Hey guys, super excited for this podcast Nate and I are bringing you. So this one's a little bit different. I'm going to give you a little bit of an introduction. This is essentially a three-part podcast. We're going to break down the full schedule. Probably going to be talking about it for a good three hours. So instead of just putting it into one podcast, we're going to break it up into three weeks. It'll be uh, four games each time. So just want to give you a little preamble. And if it feels like I arbitrarily cut off Nate with the music at the end, our conversation continued. Um, but you'll just have to wait a week to hear that. So hopefully you enjoy it. And remember to rate and review us on iTunes. And please send us any questions you may have at Nuts for Bucks Pod on Twitter. All right, Nate, let's get into it. This is, I think, our favorite podcast of the offseason, breaking down the schedule. But we're doing it a little bit different this year. Yeah, yeah. It's it's really what the people have been waiting for, Mike. It's the most hyped podcast, the most listened-to podcast of the offseason, no doubt. And, and so we thought, you know, we could do all of this in an hour, or we could break this up into, you know, three 30- to 40-minute separate podcasts, and that allows it to last a little bit longer. So so we're going to break down these games um, four at a time, excluding the postseason, and if we maybe make the postseason, we can break that down as well. But, yeah, so we're going to break down the first four games of, of the schedule this year. And, Mike, something a little bit different at, at first glance, there's no heavy hitter in that in that opening non-conference schedule. Yeah, I guess this podcasting format would have been a little bit better last year because we had, you know, the uh the big non-conference game early on. Um but yeah, we don't we don't have that this year and I think if we want to talk about the schedule at large, that was something that Gene Smith did very intentionally because we kind of got a tough draw with who we're playing out of the Big 10 West considering we have Wisconsin Northwestern and Nebraska uh, later on in the season. So, are, are you okay with us having kind of a cupcake non-conference schedule, or do you think that's going to potentially bite us um, down the road when we're talking about the college football playoff selection committee? Man, I, I, five years ago I would have said, "Yeah, that's going to hurt us." But I mean, anymore, Mike, it teams just don't really play great non-conference schedules. I, look at Alabama last year; they're their premier game, I guess you could say, was a three-win Louisville team. This year in the non-conference, they're playing Duke, New Mexico State, <clears throat> Southern Miss, and Western Carolina. I think ours tops that, you know. And so I, Clemson, I, I think, is pretty similar as well. So I, to me, at, at this point in 2019, I don't think it matters, especially with the the depth and the the tenacity of the in-conference schedule the Buckeyes are going to play, it's going to be a bear. Yeah, I think the argument would also be that, keep in mind, the SEC and the ACC play eight conference games versus the Big Ten and the Pac-12 and the Big 12 uh, who all play nine conference games. So, sure, we're playing Miami, Ohio, Cincinnati, and Florida Atlantic as our non-conference games, but we're basically, like, Wisconsin is that other big game that could be like Alabama's version of a Louisville or Clemson's version of a South Carolina, you know, kind of like that premier game. 
So I, I, I'm okay with it, and I don't think – in fact, it might be kind of a relief because last year we beat TCU. It was a close game. It was a nail-biter, and that never ended up being discussed at all because TCU ended up being a, a bad team. So sometimes those situations are just lose-lose. You know, you, you beat a team like TCU – and then you don't really get credit for it because they fall off the map. Or you play a tough team like Oklahoma, you lose to Oklahoma, you get two losses on the season, then you don't make a college football playoff. So I would argue yeah. that the last two years, that extra non-conference game has actually been held against us as, a, as opposed to being more of a positive. I would agree with you there, Mike. Yeah, I, I, I think I think that's something that, that, that college football as a whole and the NCAA needs to have together that it needs to be you know unity or conformity whatever they all need to play nine conference games or they all need to play eight I think that's just what's going to be best you know for this college football playoff committee because you're right you look at at, at a team like Ohio State or Penn State or Michigan who's playing nine conference games I believe the Pac-12 is doing the same thing they haven't been super relevant but that to me is a disadvantage especially when you know Alabama is playing Western Carolina late in the year, and Clemson's playing Wofford late in the year. That's essentially a bye week. You know, that's a, a week to rest up and get healthy. That's a, that's an easy W. Yeah, absolutely. And this the whole, like, make-your-own-schedule thing is ridiculous. Like, any other sport, the schedules are automatically generated based on, like, some algorithm, whether it be, like, the NFL or the NBA or, you know, I love Premier League soccer. Same thing. And it just doesn't make sense. Like, this whole thing of, like, college teams can make their own schedule, I'm fine with that if there's not going to be a college football playoff and at the end of the year it's just going to be like, all right, best Big Ten team plays the best Pac-12 team for the Rose Bowl. And then, you know, how they used to do it in the 1980s. But now, like, this stuff has to be standardized. And it's, like, I'm okay with, like, a team being like, all right, you can schedule two non-conference cupcake games at home. But I think, like, every year – like, for example, the SEC should play the Big Ten, and it's just randomly generated. So maybe one year Ohio State draws Vanderbilt, and the next year they, you know, we draw Florida at home. Like, that would be so much more fair of a way to do it, and, and I, I don't know, I just don't I, – I, it just leaves a bitter taste in my mouth. That's the only thing I could say about it. I Yeah, I totally agree with you, Mike. Totally agree with you. I, I hope that it's something that can change, you know, in the coming years. And, and – you know, this is a schedule that 10 years ago would have taken a lot of flack from a lot of people. you got FAU and Cincinnati and Miami of Ohio. But we're about to break down these games, Mike, and, and especially for a new head coach, I don't think they're quite as easy as people might think. Yeah, that that's totally true, and I guess yeah, we'll go, we'll go uh, game by game and, and start with FAU at home. I guess, fortunately, Ryan Day does have some experience. I mean, he was the the head coach for the opener last year when we beat Oregon State 77-31. to But FAU comes to town, and Nate, I'm going to, as we go through each of these teams, I want you to guess how many pros that these teams had drafted last year. So how many players out of Florida Atlantic got drafted in the NFL draft last year? Um, I know they had a really good tailback. Devin Singletary, so I know he got – I'm, I'm going to say one. So they actually got two. Yeah, you're right. Devin Singletary got drafted in the third round by the Bills, but then they had another running back drafted in the seventh round by the Bears. Shout out Alex Ford on that oh, wow. one. So 
They actually had two pros, which is pretty crazy, yeah. And FAU, I know they, I think they won 10 straight games two years ago, but last year they fell off a little bit. They went 5-7, and 3-5 and five in Conference USA, and they were the 88th ranked team according to Sports References rating system. And look, Nate, you know I'm a big numbers guy, so I'm going to refer to this as we go along. The Sports Reference rating system basically compares how good of a team you are compared to the average team. So last year, Ohio State was 21 points better than the average team. And Florida Atlantic, to put that into comparison, was ranked 88th out of all the FBS teams, and they were 2.7 points worse than the average team. And, uh, yeah, I mean, they, they do have a big, big time coach. So I, this might be the only game in the first four where you actually might, might think that, uh, FAU might have a coaching advantage over us. I don't know. Is that too crazy to say? Man, yeah. I, what, what Kiffin has done down there has been impressive. Like you said, they reeled a little bit last year. Um, but, but make no mistake, Mike, this is a team loaded with talent. You look at the, the quarterback room alone. Chris Robinson, a four-star transfer from Oklahoma, is is projected to be the the starter. Though he's suspended indefinitely for for some sort of internal matter. Their backups are DeAndre Johnson, a transfer from uh, Florida State, I believe, who was on the show last chance you. And then, hey, just recently another Florida State transfer, DeAndre Francois. Uh, said that he was going to walk on at FAU. So, man, that to me, that quarterback room on a pure talent sounds better than the Buckeye quarterback, quarterback room. Certainly deeper, and Lane Kiffin is sort of the quarterback whisperer. Uh, I, I know Ryan Day's developed a little bit of a rotation, but or a reputation, and who knows whether, oh, is it Dwayne Haskins or, you know, like, like, the whole, like, Belichick and Brady thing. Like, did Ryan Day make Haskins flourish, or did Haskins make Ryan Day look good? I guess only time will tell. But, yeah, it, I, I, it's hard to make heads or tails of this FAU team. They're pretty good on offense. The last two years, they've been in the top 50 under Lane Kiffin, but their defenses have struggled. Neither years, both years, their defense was outside the top 50. Uh, and this team's young, too. Lane Kiffin's had the best recruiting class in the Conference USA for the last two years. So I think it's a little bit too much of a ask for FAU to come into the horseshoe and, and give yeah. us a serious run for our money. But they're not a terrible team. Like, they're, they're still projected to finish at the top of the Conference USA this year. But I just don't see how, uh, how their defense is going to stop our offense. Yeah, I'm I'm with you there, Mike. I think, you know, I could see this game being one of those where early on it's a little bit scary. Maybe maybe FAU jumps out and and has the game tied at 7-7 or even 14-14, but I think, you know, Ohio State defense will settle in. I think the offense as they get more comfortable with each other will will really settle in. What I'm most excited about though, Mike, is the fact that this is going to be a game where where the Justin Fields, I don't think it's going to see significant pressure. And so I'm hoping that really allows him to get comfortable in the passing game, get timed up with his, his receivers, and also to, you know, kind of get J.K. Dobbins going as well. Uh, so I think a, a decent little test to start the season, but, but more or less it's going to be a, a good start, a, a fairly easy win for the Buckeyes. 
I think this all this also might be one of the situations where Ryan Day doesn't exactly open up the entire playbook because you don't want to put all your best plays on tape so that you know Wisconsin and Michigan and Penn State can see those plays later on in the season. So I think we're going to run a pretty vanilla offense. Maybe uh, Ohio State fans get a little upset about that because we won't we won't put up 77 like we did against Oregon State last year. But I think we we'll right. definitely uh, get the win. And look, Florida Atlantic, despite having like some hype being a mid-major team with Lane Kiffin, they've been in this situation the last two years. Two years ago, they traveled to Wisconsin and they lost 31-14. And then last year, they traveled to Oklahoma for the opener and got absolutely smacked 63 to 14 against against the Sooners and Kyler Murray. So, Nate, what's your prediction for this game score-wise? And we're going to try to you know keep track of this as we go and 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 hold ourselves accountable for these predictions. Yeah, so uh, I'm I'm with you. I don't think we quite run up the score, um, but I, I do think it's a big win. I'm going to say final score, Buckeyes 45 and the Owls 14. So a nice little 31-point victory to start the season. All right, I have similar score down. I'm going to say 50 to 14. I don't really know how we get to 50. That's kind of an awkward number. Maybe we get seven touchdowns and go for two once. I don't know, but... I'm going to say uh, the spread for that game is going to probably be around 30, so I think we'll probably cover it uh, just barely. So we both have a nice W for that one. Next team coming to town, Cincinnati. Uh, this is one of those situations. I think we, we played Cincinnati uh, when Luke Fickle was our coach, right? I, I feel like we played them, or, or am I imagining things? We, no, so we actually played them the year we won the national title. Um, That's right. I don't, okay. I don't know if you remember, Mike, but there was tons of, you know, question around that game, like, could Cincinnati take over Ohio State as the predominant program in the Big Ten? And then obviously, uh, or not in the Big Ten, in the state of Ohio, and then obviously Ohio State proved that that was ignorant, foolish. But, um, yeah, this this game, I'm a, I'm a little nervous for this one. <clears throat> yeah, Luke Fickle, I guess you could say, has a number. Uh, it, look, we kind of we definitely had questions about Luke Fickle as a head coach when he went six and seven um, for us. Uh, but yeah, they're again interesting team because yes, they went eleven and two last year. They went six and two in conference, but it's hard to take them seriously because the American Conference is not exactly the SEC, uh, according to the sports reference rating system. They were finished thirty fourth last year. They were seven point one five points above the average team. So I think Luke Fickle has the ship headed in the right direction, but will they have the offensive firepower to keep up with us? I don't know, because heading into this year, they're projected to have the 71st overall offense, the 31st overall defense. So I think this might be a situation where our defense uh, takes over, and I, I don't know. What do, you, what do you think about this matchup? Yeah, and, re- and remember, two years ago, this was a 4-8 and eight football team, so they, they weren't very good you know, just two years ago, and even looking back at their schedule a season ago, you you got to kind of look at it with a grain of salt, okay? So they, they beat UCLA to start the year. People think, wow, that's a good victory. Well, UCLA was bad last year. They have wins against Miami of Ohio, Alabama A&M, Ohio, which is a decent win. They beat UConn, who's traditionally bad. Tulane, not good. Their two toughest games they lost. They lost at Temple and they lost at UCF. Really, their their only impressive win was was against South Florida, I would say, and, and I guess Virginia Tech maybe in the in the military bowl to, to close the season. 
Um, that said, this team is young. Desmond Ritter is their, their quarterback. He started all last season as a freshman. He had a 4-1 to one touchdown to interception ratio. And then um, Michael Warren is their starting tailback. He had 1,300 yards and 19 touchdowns last year. He's going to be a, a true junior. So, I, you know, they do have some talent on the offensive side of the football. Yeah, and if you want to look at, like, well, stylistically, how does this team compare, they're fairly run heavy. I think they had, like, 62% run plays last year, and they have a pretty good defense. So, look, I, I would say they're like a poor man's Wisconsin if you want to compare uh, mm. compare them. So that favors us. You know, we definitely play well against teams that cannot match up with us athletically. Like, if you compare how good Wisconsin has been against other teams versus Ohio State, there's definitely a huge drop-off because they just can't compete with our style. And last year, on Cincinnati's schedule, which team was most similar to Ohio State? That's got to be the UCF team led by Mackenzie Milton, and UCF totally blew them out. It was 38-13. So, I... Similar to that, I'm gonna. I don't think we're gonna score quite that much because they do have a good defense. But I think we're gonna be able to hold them. Uh, I'm gonna say 32 to 14. Ohio State comes out with an 18 point victory, and that's probably right around where the spread's gonna be too. Yeah, and you know what, Mike? The the thing that we're not we haven't taken into consideration yet this year or yet this podcast is that it seems like all off season. You know, people have been circling that game and saying, Ohio State needs to be careful. That could be, you know, that could be a, a slip-up. That could be a tough game. And you've got to imagine that the Buckeye players have heard that. You know, they, they look at Cincinnati kind of like a, a little brother, and they're not just going to roll over and let Cincinnati come into the horseshoe and beat them. Um, so I think you have to take that that motivation into consideration. I think the Buckeyes win as well. I'm going to say fairly easily, Buckeyes 42 and the Bearcats 17. All right, 42-17, so we're both in agreement, two wins there. Uh, Nate, a little trivia question for you. Do you remember the last time that Ohio State lost to a non-Power 5 team? Wow. It was before both of us were born, so. Okay. Uh, let's say 87. Pretty close. 1990. Lost to Air Force. Uh, this was John Cooper's yeah. third year. The Buckeyes were 7-4 and 1 that year, so. Uh, that was, it, it's been a while. Basically what I'm trying to say is that, yes, you can say like, oh, you know, Florida Atlantic, Cincinnati might give us a run, but I think in reality, like, if we lose to either of those teams, it is a monumental failure. Uh, and Ryan Day might not even see week three if we lose to Cincinnati yeah. at home. Yeah. 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 It'd be tough. That is – I can't believe we lost to Air Force. I'm I'm a little bit embarrassed. Hey, they they probably ran that triple option back then. We weren't ready for it. I don't know. That's, that's, John, that's John Cooper that's couldn't fair. beat Michigan or Air Force. Those are the two Or Air Force. Man. Yeah. He could beat everyone else. Can beat everyone else for those two teams. Got it. Yeah. So week three, this is the first road game of the year. Also, this is going to be Ryan Day's first Big Ten game away from home. Uh, we did play Rutgers last year when Ryan Day was our head coach. I, I keep forgetting that Ryan Day was our head coach for three games. But anyway, traveling to Indiana last year, Indiana five and seven, two and seven in the Big Ten. They were two point four four points better than the average team. So pretty much. 
a little a little bit worse than Cincinnati, but better than Florida Atlantic. And head coach Tom Allen, this is his third year. He took over for Kevin Wilson. And if you look at the projections this year, probably more of the same for Indiana. They're projected to go four and eight. Uh, but I don't, it, we've kind of struggled with Indiana on the road, though. Uh, yeah. You know, think about it. Like 2017. Um, no, sorry. When we play them, uh, sorry, 2000. Yeah, you're right. Seven, 17 to start the year. The last 17? There on yeah. Thursday night. That's right, yeah. So it was a 49-21 to 21 final, which is what I'm looking at right now. But I remember, I'm pretty sure we were losing at halftime. I think it was like 14-13 at halftime, and then we just took over in the second half. And then 2015, we were defending our national title. That was the Cardale Jones game. We won 34-27, but I think Indiana, they were basically had first and goal at the nine-yard line, and, and Jander Diamant couldn't get him in, so our defense held serve. So last two times, it's been a little bit of a trip. And then even go back to 2012, Nate, this is the game we watched at, re- at the oh. real-life retreat. I remember that. It was a 52-49 final. So we kind of had to sweat out the last three games against Indiana. Yeah, yeah. It, it feels like Indiana is some sort of Buckeye kryptonite to some degree, and I, I don't fully understand why that is. I don't know if the Buckeyes just aren't up to play that game or what. But, yeah, I, this this game early in the season – it's going to be a bit of a test. It seems like Tom Allen in some ways has figured out at least how to, to keep these games close, um, and it tends to have a pretty good defense. So I, I think it's going to be an interesting one, especially there in week three. Um, and, you know, there's a decent chance the Buckeyes won't really have been challenged to that point. So you got to keep that in mind as well. <clears throat> Yeah, they also hired a new offensive coordinator, and Peyton Ramsey was the quarterback last year. Didn't exactly have scary numbers, 19 touchdowns, 13 interceptions. He's been starting there for two years. But with a new offensive coordinator, they're trying to, like, adopt kind of an air raid scheme. And am I really afraid of Peyton Ramsey uh, throwing the ball 52 times? No, not really. But the point is this is still going to be a test for our secondary that struggled a lot last year. Uh, And I would say, like, well, we do really well against those Wisconsin teams that are run heavy and kind of slow. Well, what teams do we struggle against? We struggle against teams that can really, like, light up our secondary. I, mean, I think multiple times last year, whether it was Maryland or other games, we gave up well over 300 yards passing. So I think this one could be a little bit more of a shootout than we're comfortable with. Uh, ultimately, I still think we're going to win, uh, I'll say, 45-21. to 21, But I think our this is probably going to be our hardest game to this point in the season for our defense. Has Peyton Ramsey, um, what was the question I was going to ask? Shoot. Has he been you know, successful at all ever in anything in his life? <laughs> I think that that was part of it. I, I think the actual question I was thinking, Mike, was has Indiana ever actually had an offense that they stuck to for, like, more than two years? Because I feel like, Back in the early 2010s, they were an air raid team, and then they got Kevin Coleman, and yeah. were and all about the rock. And now they're—I don't know what they've been in the last few years. It hasn't been good, and now they're back to the air raid. It, it's just, yeah, I don't know. I, I was looking yeah, they, back. They at definitely lack an identity. Yeah, I was looking back at Peyton Ramsey's stats from a year ago, um, and just for for understanding's sake. In big games like one against Michigan, 16 of 35. 
So that's you got to complete more than 40% of your passes. That could be an issue for him. Yeah, that was a game they were in, too. I remember they had Michigan, like, semi on the ropes at halftime. It was definitely a one-score game, and then Michigan kind of put uh, the pedals in the metal, so to speak. Yeah, Indiana's tricky. I feel like this could be potentially a little bit of a letdown. I think there's going to be a lot of emotion behind the Cincinnati game because it's an in-state rival, and then you're going to get – you travel against Indiana, you might come out slow. But even so, like, the Ohio State fans travel so well. Like, these Indiana road games might be road games, but considering it's a five-hour drive from Columbus, I would say that probably the stadium is going to be, what, 40% Buckeye fans, if that, maybe more. Columbus West, baby. That's, that's what we call it. Yeah, it really so it'll be, there will be a lot, of, a lot of Buckeye fans there. I could, I could see it being 50% Ohio State fans. Yeah, it, I guess one more note I want to make on this game, Nate, is that I was reading kind of a preview for Indiana, and apparently their biggest problem is their defensive line and stopping the run. So whether it's J.K. Dobbins or Justin Fields running out of the backfield, uh, I, I think we're going to be able to – this is going to be one of those games. Look, Ohio State's going to have a very versatile offense. It's going to be kind of a mix of pro style and spread, and this could be a game where we just let the running backs go and and run for over 200 yards. And sometimes that's uh, – it, it's good to show that versatility. So this game will definitely test it. What's your prediction? All I've, got, all I've got to say, Mike, before I give my prediction, is just make sure we defend those back shoulder throws. It feels like – for two straight seasons, that is all that they did. They would throw 10-yard back shoulder throws, even if they're on their own 20-yard line, and our DBs would either give up a reception or they'd get a pass interference call. So we got to defend those. Um, I'm going to say this one's a little bit scarier. I'm going to pick the Buckeyes to win 35-24 uh, in a close football game where we kind of pull away, like you said, J.K. Dobbins there in the fourth quarter. All right, so those. What, let's just take a pause for a second before we go to Miami, Ohio, uh, the next game. At this point, we both have Ohio State winning three games for the most part comfortably. And in the preseason, we're going to be somewhere around like fifth to seventh. So where do you think we will be? Ohio State will be 3 0. Where do you think we'll be in the AP poll at this point in the season? Do you think some of the other big teams are going to jump us or drop behind? Like, how do you see that playing out? Mm, interesting question. I think we'll be sitting at 3-0 and somewhere around 9-12. to um, I think there, that there could be a one-loss team or two ahead of us, um, but I think with it being Ryan Day's first season, they're going to be, you know, re- reporters are going to be kind of skeptical are these wins legit? Is this team legit? They haven't been tested. Yada, yada, yada. And so I think probably sitting somewhere around that, not like I said, 9 to 12 range, which, to be quite honest, I'm completely fine with. Yeah, that's fine. Because I think with all of the teams on our schedule, we can lose one game and still probably make it to the playoffs as long as we win the Big Ten and win the Big Ten championship. Obviously, there's kind of an asterisk with that because last year that was the case, and unfortunately, our our loss was a blowout to a six and six Purdue team. But yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I think this is a no win situation for Ryan Day because we can win these three games by combined 100 points, and people in the media are still going to be like, "Well, you know, like they they played a really bad team." You know, you know, there's no big marquee game that can really help us. 
So I think we're going to get jumped, and uh, we're going to unfortunately get, like, the Notre Dame treatment early. Like, it feels like Notre Dame every year are, like, 8-0, and nobody respects them. So I could definitely yeah. see us, based on our schedule, I think we're going to have that until we play Nebraska week five. I think the first – and who knows how good Nebraska is going to be. Like, they were terrible last year. But the first four games, it's going to be, you know, all, like, uh, Ryan Day has not been tested yet, yada, 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 that whole narrative. But – Hey, should we get to the fourth game uh, being Miami at home? Let's do it, Mike. The Red Hawks. Yeah, so, yeah the Red Hawks, pretty crazy. I mean, this Their coach, I, look, I'm not going to lie, I didn't know anything about Miami football until I did some research for this podcast. This guy, Chuck Martin, 22-39 and 39 in five years, which sounds pretty unimpressive right off the bat. However, when he inherited Miami, they went 0-12 their first year, and they were 29 points worse than the average team. They were the worst team in FBS. They were essentially wow. like the inverse Clemson. Because uh, you know, Clemson was, last year was 28 points better than the average team, so they were literally the inverse Clemson. But then the next year, they were 18.7 points worse than the average team, then 13.5, then 6.1 then 2.2, and last year under this guy, Chuck Martin, he's had six seasons, they were average. They were 6-16, six and 16 and they were .7 points worse than the average team. So they were pretty much middle of the road. Yeah, they went bowling last year. So Chuck Martin, hats off to you for turning around uh, that program. But when uh, when I'm reading a preview about you and the team, the best thing about your team is special teams, it's hard to really take you seriously. Man, yeah, I'm just going back through their their schedule, and holy cow, what a turnaround by Chuck Martin. That's certainly impressive. I'm a little familiar with, with Miami just because living down here in Athens, I don't know, you, you probably didn't know this, Mike. I didn't know it until I lived here. OU, Ohio University, and Miami of Ohio really hate each other. That's like a big rivalry. Um, I think it's because Miami is like the super preppy you know, kind of douchey kids, and then OU's like the no, nothing's ever been handed easy to us, that kind of, you know, and so they just don't clash very well, um, really don't mix very well. But they have this rivalry called the Battle of the Bricks, and OU had a really good team last year, and Miami beat them 30-28, to 28, and that was a really big deal. I kind of ruined Ohio's chances at a MAC championship um, so whatever Chuck Martin's doing there, he's doing well. Um, like you said, six and six a year ago. They they graduate a lot though. Gus Ragland was their quarterback a season ago. He graduates. I believe their top couple of running backs are gone as well. The guy to look out for though, Mike, to start at quarterback this year, a Michigan transfer, Alex Malzoni. Uh, slated to be a senior there, uh, but yeah, actually transferred from Michigan. I, it must have been at some point, maybe when Shea Patterson arrived. So that that's kind of an interesting storyline to watch. <laughs> so when our when our transfer quarterbacks come, our transfers go to Miami, Florida, because they're good. And then when Michigan's transfers come, they transfer to Miami, Ohio, because they suck. <laughs> Oh, that's great. Uh, so you, you probably hate my. I mean, considering now you're an Athens, Ohio guy, you probably hate Miami, Ohio right up there with Michigan, huh? Oh, yeah. Just uh, utter disdain for for Miami. No, I really couldn't care less. 
But it, it is sad to see this program where it's at. I remember growing up, Mike, and Miami had, you know, Big Ben there, and they were, you know, perennially 11-1, and 10-2, maybe 12-0. They were a really good football team. So it's, it's sad to see them in this state. Yeah, uh, I, yeah. The, the days of Ben Roethlisberger, right? They were like the, they were like Boise State of the Midwest. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I actually went to the campus once for for Halloween. It was actually a good time. It was a very pretty campus. Uh, other than Miami High, I don't really have any other thoughts. They're in Oxford, right? Like, do you even know why why they're called Miami? Is that the city? Uh, it's it's the Miami Valley. Is what is what it's called. So I think that that is the reason. For whatever reason, Southwest Ohio decided, hey, we're going to be the um, Miami Valley. I guess it kind of makes sense. I mean, Miami, Florida is probably the like all the rich preppy kids of the Southeast. So now, and if you're preppy and 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 rich and douchey, then you go to Miami, Ohio if you're from the Midwest. So it's just one or the other. Interesting, but, man. Just drawing parallels here. So this one, I think, look, I think this is going to be one of those situations where we win by a lot, but we completely, like, Jim Tressel style, go up 35 nothing in the first half and basically just need a clock out for the last half. Shut her down. So I'm going to, yeah, just completely shut everything down, put in the backups, especially with Nebraska coming the week after. You know Nebraska is going to be bringing their A-plus game. So... This could also be a situation where we're stuck looking ahead to Nebraska. Maybe we're not going to be a thousand percent focused. Either way, we should get out of Dodge with a nice victory. I'm going to say Ohio State 35, Miami Ohio 7. I think our defense is going to bring it. And uh, and yeah, 28 point victory. What do you think, Nate? Hey, this will be the lone shutout of the season, Mike. It's on record Ooh. right now. I'm going to say the Buckeyes win at 49 to zero. Um, and, hey, you know what? Alex Malzoni finally gets his chance to play in the shoe against the team that he hates so much, and it goes just terribly for him. Um, sucks to suck, you know? Wouldn't that, wouldn't Mike, that be wonderful? Mike, I will say, though, and I, I don't want to give too much away because we have a, a, you know, we have two podcasts still to go, but I've got a hot take for you. I think the next four games – are the toughest part of Ohio State's schedule. Even worse than the, the Penn State-Michigan games to end the year, I think games four through eight, or five through eight, I should say, are just absolute bears. It's going to be a tough one. Yeah, so, and for what you guys have looking ahead for the next podcast, Nebraska on the road, Michigan State at home, then by week, then Northwestern on the road, Wisconsin at home, you could definitely envision a universe where we're playing four straight ranked games at that point. And, uh, Nate, I'm going to ask you this. Would you sign for seven and one coming out of the – right now, you're, you're signing, you're putting ink to paper right now. Would you be okay with seven, to, seven and one the first eight games? Beyond a shadow of a doubt. That would – Really? That, yeah. yeah I, I would take that 100%. Um, I know – the Buckeye fans traditionally are pretty pretty tough skeptics, but remember this is Ryan Day's first year. That is a gauntlet. If we can get through that, those four games, three and one, um, and be seven and one for the season, I'd be really happy. Uh, I know the last two games are 
on paper pretty tough, and I think Michigan's going to be good. I think Penn State back slides a little bit. And so, um, yeah, I'm just trying to be realistic this year. I, I think 10-2, and two, even 9-3 and three is possible. I, obviously, I hope not. But I, I don't know if the national championship narrative is, is quite what I what we or what I should be expecting. Yeah, that's true. And also, I, I agree with you uh, with seven and one because that just keeps us in the hunt. You know, seven and one will probably be a top ten team at that point with Maryland and Rutgers ahead. So maybe we can get to nine and one going in the last few games. But also. We're not putting all our eggs in this season, right? Last year, we knew it was Dwayne Haskins' only year. It was kind of like, this is our only chance to be uh, this version of this team with Dwayne Haskins. But Justin Fields, being a sophomore, we're going to have him for at least one more year. So I think it might take a year to adjust to the Ryan Day system, adjust to the way he's going to run things. And, and yeah, 7-1 and one would be fantastic because even if, like, we lose to Wisconsin, for example – like, you know, beating Northwestern, Nebraska, and Michigan State three state weeks is, would be quite the accomplishment, considering all of those teams are going to be, you know, ranked in the late teens, early 20s. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you, Mike. Hey, and one other interesting note, you said we have a bye week there before the Northwestern game. The Northwestern game, a Friday night affair. So just, just keep that in the back of your mind. That'll give us an extra day to prepare for Wisconsin. That's, that's something a little interesting. You don't see that too often um, for the Buckeyes, especially in the middle of the season. Yeah, I'm shocked the uh, you know 80-year-old white guys on the Big Ten chair committee allowed that to happen. That just seems to break tradition so much, and we know that's all the Big Ten cares about is tradition. Yeah, I will say I can guarantee you all 32,000 Northwestern fans are going to have Northwestern Memorial Stadium rocking on October 18th, though.